This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. We're in Psalm chapter 30, and this is an answer prayer from, from David. In all actuality, we're going to soon be moving out of, there's moving into some sections where we have some songs written by others, and we'll, those are exciting. But these, this psalm is more of a, a psalm about how God uh, hears us and answers our prayer. And, and I, I think it's, it's, it's written for a song, and it is. And we'll begin with that. It says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. And, and our, our relationship with God is a personal relationship. And, and, and we are the, the truth is we're the needy party in the relationship. And God desires to meet our needs. He does. And he desires from us, he desires for us to trust him and to learn to trust him. And, and he wants us to honor and love him. And those are the things that he desires. And, not that he needs, but that he desires from us. And David says, I'm going to extol you, Lord, because you've lifted me up. And he says, you've not let my foes rejoice over me. And that's a psalm of, of praise. It's a psalm of, it's a saying of, and, and he's basically saying that we're not, God's not allowed, God's not allowed his enemies to, to triumph over him. He says, oh Lord, my God, I cried out to you. And you healed me. I always talk about the healing ministry of Jesus. And, and interestingly enough, the healing ministry of Jesus, if you'll, if you'll look at it and just study just the times where he was healing someone, there is generally three sources of what is required for healing. And those sources, the, those, those, the, what God requires is faith. And interestingly enough, and when you say faith, what do you mean? We, in order for the power of God to be manifest in your life, you must trust God. And you say, why must I trust God in order for his power to be manifest? Well, because faith is the avenue, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of Sundays. Faith is the avenue by which God operates in our life. We trust him and he confirms that trust. He builds that trust in us by acting in our lives, by manifesting himself, making himself known in our lives. And so if we trust him, he makes himself known. And you say, can he do that without me trusting him? Sure he can, but the problem with that is, is due to our natures, if I do for you and it requires nothing of you, then the next time there's stronger likelihood that you'll do nothing the next time. And what I'm beginning to do is I'm not beginning, I'm not helping you, I'm enabling what is wrong with you. And so if a person, let's say a, a young man, 24 years old, is living in your home and you feed him at night and give him a place to stay and you do that because he doesn't have a job, should we do that sometimes? Sure, we should do that sometimes. 
because he lost his job because the company went out of business. Okay, that's a good reason. And he's out. For, he's he's hit hard spot, and, and now we're going to help him. Now, <clears throat> if he's not looking for a job six months later, and you feed him and give him a place to stay again the next night, you're beginning to enable him not working. You're enabling him not to be he uh, should be, not to be doing what he should be doing. In fact, you're enabling something that's a very negative thing for his future and for his life, causing him to be dependent on you rather than dependent on himself and, and the abilities and, and the gifts God has given him. That's enabling, and it's enabling that which is not in his not in a person's best interest. If God, having given you the ability to trust him and having taught you to trust him, then provides or manifests his presence, his power, his purpose in your life, and I use those three words strategically, if he is if he's manifesting his purpose, his power, his presence in your life, and you are not using the tool by which we access that power, presence, and, and purpose. If that's the case, and we we don't use that tool, then he is enabling us not to trust him, which is the opposite of what we, we need. And so why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would God, he wouldn't. It's not, it's not logical that he would do that. And, and so there's a necessity a faith for God's presence, power, and purpose to be, be, be had or be found in our lives. And so uh, when Jesus healed, some people he healed because of their faith. They came of their own. The uh, blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The woman with the issue of blood came up and, and touched his garment. The Sidonian woman seeking for her daughter to be healed, seeking out Jesus, and Jesus even rebuking her because she was not Jewish. He was first sent to the Jews, and she said, even the uh, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table, and that was her way of saying, I trust you, and even if I'm not supposed to be your best or you're, you, you moving on my behalf, you're the type of person I trust to do the best for me. And and so her faith made her whole. And then you have the men who lured the the, uh, paralyzed man into the presence of God. And even that story of the Sidonian woman, that's the story of someone being healed based off someone else's faith. And so their faith, you've got the person who is getting the blessing or the healing. And then then you've got people whose their faith is healing someone. And then obviously Jesus, his faith in the power of God and the presence of God and the purpose of God for his life also healed by his own will and by his own power. And faith is required and healing. And, and when for the healing of God to take place, there must be the presence of faith. And even in the conversion experience, there's a requirement that the gospel be preached that someone speak or someone provide, maybe give you a give you something that has the gospel on it. There has to be a giving of faith or a acting upon faith so that the hearer can hear the good news and then turn toward God. And God desires us to faith him. He says, Oh Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. He, David said, I trusted you. I reached out to you. I said, you're the one who's the, the, the author of my faith and you healed me. He said, 
Oh Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. And notice he, he does. That's what the salvific process is or sanctification is. It is raising our our soul, which is our heart, our cardia, our passions, and our mind, our intellect, it's raising it up from the death that it exists in, separated from God. And we hear the good news, and we turn toward God, and when the, then we move in God's direction, and we experience the life that God has for us. He says, you brought my, my, my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive, and, I sh- and that I should not go down to the pit which means I'm not going to be under your judgment now. I'm not going down to the pit. I'm not going to be uh, condemned uh, by you because I'm yours and you're mine. He says, and then he begins, he, he tells what God has done, and then he begins to sing praise. He says, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. And so what that natural, and I say this all the time, the natural reaction when God moves in a person's life is they tell others. They speak of what God has done. And I say this sometimes on Sunday morning, and I especially want to emphasize it maybe this morning. When God speaks to your heart, when he says something to you and it changes your perspective, the way you lay hold to that and the way you begin to implement that in your life is you you tell some, you confess with your mouth. It's, it's confession. It's telling what God has done, what God has, has said. Oftentimes, we think of confession as telling what we have done wrong. In all actuality, the power of confession is not that. The power of confession is the telling of what God has done. It is it because it cements what God has done in your life, and it cements it in, in your remembering. And that's even as important as the actual act of what God has done, because what is in your remembering you will bring back and you will use down the road so that the power of God, when it's at work and when it's doing something in your life, it's not just a momentary thing, it's an eternal thing, and it continues on down the road. The movement of God in your life continues on, and you cement that by confessing it to one another, telling people what God has done. And that's what that's really what David is doing throughout the Psalms. He's saying what God does, and then he's praising God for it. And so he says, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. And, and notice that's what he's saying, give thanks, because we remember the very character, the very name of God, his characteristics, what he does, we're remembering that. He says, for his anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for a lot. And notice what he's saying. God's discipline and his anger is momentary. God's desire uh, desire to change you and his, uh, his wanting to remove those things that destroy you. Remember, God's changing you not, for, not just for change sake. So many times young people want to pick somebody that they like for whatever reason, and then they want to change everything about them. And the truth is you need to pick somebody for their character and who they are, and then Whatever needs to be changed down the road, you allow your relationship to blossom and the power of who you are and your and the goodness and the things that you provide to to make a difference in their life and to uplift and change them, not the force change. God's change in us is for our very and it is just momentary, but the favor that comes from that, the, the goodness that comes from that is for a lifetime. And he says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And there's several songs that allude to this psalm and this verse. And in all actuality, Psalm 35, 
Psalm 30 verse 5 is a great uh, verse to to memorize. His weeping may endure, which means sorrow is only for a season. Sorrow is only for a moment, but joy is just around the corner. And the joy of the Lord, it comes out of God delivering us from the sorrows of the day and the sorrows of the moment. He says, now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Notice what he's saying there. He says, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Meaning in the moments of God's giving and I have his abundance, I realize that I can't be shaken when I'm in his very best. He says, Lord, by your uh, favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. Notice that his faith, he compares to a mountain. His, it, and, and, and do you, do you see your faith? <laughs> do you see your faith as a, in South Alabama, it'd be a fire ant bed, just a little mound of dirt? Or do you see your faith as a mountain? I, I want you to know that the faith that God has provided you is the size of a mountain. Just because you exercise the faith of an anthill, does not mean that you're not capable of having the faith of the mountain. You say, how do you, what do you mean God has given me the faith of a mountain? If you're a believer, I'll ask you a few questions. Do you believe that God spoke the universe into existence with the sound of his voice? Do you believe that, that, that man marred the earth with sin, with Adam, and that God promised he would send a deliverer to deliver that? And do you believe that deliverer was Jesus Christ and he came in the form of a man being being actually the son of God, co-equal with God, deity himself. He came in the form of a man, lived a sinless life, was seen and healed men and intentionally by his own will gave himself up on the cross, was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, and that he'll come again one day and make all things new. If you, do you believe that? And most of you sitting here say, yes, I do believe that. You, I'm going to tell you, that story I just told either is absolutely true, and you have great faith to believe that, or it's nuts, and you're a nut, okay? There's really no way to get around that. Or Jesus just totally lied to us. All right, either, either Jesus lied to us. We're all nuts because we believe a nut because he was a nut. And then he told us all this nutty stuff. And now we believe it or it's absolutely true. And we believe it to be true. And so that is a great amount of faith. That is a great, a great deal of faith is required to believe what you say you believe. And that is the size of them. Now you say you believe that, but does your actions and does what you say and do reflect that. If your actions and what you say and do reflect that, then you're acting on the mountain rather than the molehill side of faith. You're, you're, I'll call it an anthill because in where we're from, we know what an anthill looks like. And so the question is yours for those who are in uh, Tallapoosa County, are you, is your faith the size of Smith Mountain or your, is your faith the size of the small little anthill in your front yard that you're going to have to pour some ant poison on? The question, that's the question. And the truth is, it's the size of Smith Mountain, but but you're just operating in the anthill version of it. And so he says, he says, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You've made the mountain of my faith stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. Meaning, the minute God the God steps back, if He removes Himself in any way from us, we are totally in trouble, and that is totally true. 
That's totally true. He holds everything together with his mighty right hand. And if he's not involved, we're ruined. And so we're never ruined because he's always involved. He says, I'll never leave you for or forsake you. I cried out to you, Lord, and the Lord, and to the Lord, I made supplication. What he meant is I'm telling you all these good things that God has done. And he says, and he says, the result of me hearing his voice and turning toward him. And that is that repentance. That is that that remove, moving back toward God because we've heard it. And by the way, the only way you heard it is because God provided you the means by which to hear it. The only way you can trust him is God provided you the means by which to trust him. And the only way you can hear him is God provided you the means by which to hear him. He said, what profit is there in my blood <clears throat> when I go down to the pit? He says, what good is it for me to perish for God? Because we're trophies of his grace. We're the ones he points to and says, I can take that which is totally worthless and make it of great value. I can take that which is dead and make it alive. I can take that which is destroyed and I can make it new again. He says, what profit is there in my blood when I go down to the, what he's saying? It's, it's of no good to God for him to turn his face and destroy me. Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? And he's saying to us and to God, us being nothing does not praise him. But us praising him out of the nothingness that he's brought us brings him great glory and great reward. He says, hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. And what he's saying is by you, you manifesting yourself in me, you prove the greatness that you actually are. And, and that's what God is actually doing with us. He is proving, he is showing the greatness of his mercy and his grace and his through us and through our well, our brokenness and nothingness, and, and we are really, we're, we're even even as we compare ourselves to each other, this one is wealthy or great or important, and that one's nothing and lives nowhere and has nothing. The truth is the relative distance between the two of us is not very much, and the likelihood that we could be nothing, again, those of us who think we have greatness or great things is, is easy, and it could easily happen, and it happens all the time. And so the truth is, Without, with him, we have everything. Without him, we really are nothing. And, and that's all of us. And it really is all. And that's why we should always be uh, graceful and giving and loving and caring for those around us, no matter what their position. He says, you have turned for, for me my morning into dancing. Notice, he says, you the one that that brought joy in the morning. And, you're, and morning is always a picture. Remember, when we always talk about that, morning is a picture of the resurrection power of God. That's why it's good to do a Bible study. It's good for me to sit here in the sun uh, rising early in the morning because it's a picture of the resurrection and the power of God in my life. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Actually, verse 11 and 12 are great verses to memorize too. You've turned my, uh, for me, my morning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth. And remember, that's like wearing a, a, nobody really even remembers this, but I can actually remember when I was really young, when you used to buy potatoes, not in a plastic bag, but they came in these, these burlap, bur, I don't even know what it's called. Anyway, it was, it's, it's the cloth material that they came in, in a bag. And that, that, the, it's very itchy. It's like terrible wool. And sackcloth is a very similar type of, uh, material. It's very itchy and it's nasty and it's dingy and it's ugly. And, and those, that's what we had to cover our sin before he provided us, um, with his holiness to fix and to mend and to heal our sin. 
And so he says, when you took off my sack, you've put my, put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. See, when God gives to us, the covering of our sin is no longer, uh, the terrible things we can come up with, but, but the goodness that he comes up with. He says, to the end of my glory, uh, may sing, uh, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. And notice there's that thing again where when God does something, you speak. When God acts, you speak of what he's done. And, and when your mouth is speaking love and speaking concern and speaking care and speaking hope and speaking love, you're uttering what God has placed in your heart and you're acting on that mountain of faith. And when your mouth speaks uh, despair and bitterness and, and worry and doubt and fear, then you know that you've traded that mountain in for an anthill. And he says, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be, our mouths ought to speak those things and our mouths ought to speak care and concern for others and love for others and a hope for others. And he says, oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever because he's really the source of anything that we have that is good. And then that's true of all of us. Anything that is good that we have comes from him and his table. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.